0: This morning I want to share with you what I consider to be the most important topic in scripture. I want to share with you about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, if we can properly understand what God has given to us, if we can appropriate that truth, if we can understand the kingdom of God, then you and I should be the most excited people on the face of the planet. The kingdom of God is the very core of what Jesus was all about. And this morning, I want to share some things about it. I can say it's the most important topic in Scripture because in the Gospels alone, that phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, appears 144 times. Every page of the New Testament talks about the kingdom of God. It's the very first thing that Jesus spoke about when he started his public ministry. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And for the next three years, it was the centerpiece of what he taught about. He went to great lengths teaching parables for those who had spiritual ears to, to understand the deep truths of the kingdom of God. It was the very last thing that Jesus spoke about. In Acts 1.3, it says that between the, the a resurrection of Jesus and the ascension, he spoke for 40 days intermittently with the followers of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Jesus said himself it was the primary reason why he came to preach about the kingdom of God so that people would grasp it and understand it. And he said himself, seek first the kingdom of God. It should be our first and utmost priority. It's got to permeate our hearts and minds. It's got to. When it becomes part of our inner being, the kingdom of God, the whole threshold of life is different. We're able to unleash the power of God. We're able to immerse ourselves in the spirit of God and his plans for this world. We're able to be catalysts for the kingdom. It's such an exciting topic. You know, if we understand the kingdom of God, we understand who we are and what is ours. We understand that we are are seated in the heavenly realms, that we're co-heirs with Christ. We know our rights and privileges in the kingdom of God. We know what is ours to use and behold. We know the authority the king has given to us and how to use that authority. We know how to stand against the enemy. We know how to advance the kingdom of God. We know the tools and the weapons that God has given us. And we know that we're ambassadors for the king. Jesus called a little child who he placed in the midst of his disciples and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the message of the, of the kingdom of God transcends every culture, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every cl- color, every class. The kingdom of God can be understood by everyone. There's not anyone that can't grasp enough of the kingdom of God for its truth to transform them, for it, for it to affect their inner being in such a way that they are changed. It doesn't matter whether you're a pygmy in the highlands of New Guinea or you're a painter from Pakenham. The kingdom of God has relevance for everyone that walks on the face of this earth and properly understood when we get it, when we lay hold of it, we're away. We have really understood the heart of God and the heart of our Father. So this morning I want to share with you just four points about the kingdom of God. And the first is that the kingdom of God is a realm of control, authority. You can't get very far into trying to understand who Jesus is and his ministry without understanding the concept of dominion. God's right to rule, God's right to be in control, God's right to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and the way that he wants to do it. It's It's a kingdom of control and authority. What confronts us about the the control of Jesus is that it's absolute. There is nothing that he didn't have control over. And he demonstrated that through his ministry. Whether it was nature or sickness, whatever it was, Jesus had authority over it. And so the Bible uses the term sovereignty to describe the authority and the power of Jesus. You know, I think in Australia we really struggle to understand that because... We were raised in a democracy. We were raised in a society where we we get to have a voice. We get to have input into the laws and the values of our society. If we don't agree with something, we can speak out. We can say, "Mrs. Gillard, I don't like your carbon tax." You know, we we have a platform to engage with our rules and our regulations and our government. But that's not the way God's kingdom functions. You know, democracy is government by the voice of the masses. But God's economy is a theocracy. In other words, we don't get a say in the rules and the principles of the kingdom. Jesus' right to make those rules wasn't because we elected him or because he was popular. He didn't come as a prime minister. He didn't come as a president. He came as God. And he had a birthright to use that authority for his purposes. Jesus can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants, and he wants us to understand that, that that is his right, his birthright. The second thing is is that Jesus is a king and he has jurisdiction over the universe and therefore he owns everything. He made it. He created it. He owns the whole thing. He owns the, the people. He owns the infrastructure. He owns everything. In fact, there's nothing that he doesn't own. The point is, we own nothing. If we understand his kingship, we understand that all that we have, all that we possess, everything that we own is actually his. You drove here this morning in a car owned by God. You're dressed in clothes that are owned by God. That's the concept that we need to understand about kingship. We don't have any rights. I don't get to choose what I do with my life. I can't say I want to be an accountant if God has another plan and purpose for my life. And when Jesus came and started to talk about the kingdom of God, it was confronting because it came against the grain of what the world said was the way to live. You know, the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it. He personally owns everything. He owns you and me. And because Jesus is a king, when a king speaks... The words become law. It's like an edict. You know, he doesn't have a parliament. Jesus doesn't have a parliament where he shares an idea and, and the parliament debate it and then decide, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. No, when God says, this is the way it will be, this is my plan, it's law. It's non-negotiable. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. You see, that's the challenging part about understanding the kingdom of God is that we come face to face with the whole cold, harsh reality that God is in ultimate control of my life. You know, we have to understand that God is all-powerful and that he can do anything he wants. And even Satan and all the demons know that. The acid test is whether or not we'll submit to that authority, whether we will actually bow our knee and acknowledge God's kingship and his right to my life and then live out in obedience to that. You know, I'm, I'm so worried about what happens in churches today when the gospel is preached because we preach about Jesus being our saviour. And that's not an untruth. That is true. But he's our Lord and he's our master. It's a totally different platform to come into the kingdom of God to have your old life and just try and add Jesus onto it, as opposed to understanding that my old life has to die. Jesus doesn't want to take Mark Wilson's life and do an extreme makeover on it. He wants me to acknowledge that my life is broken, it's a mess, it's sinful, and he wants me to kill it, to bury it in the ground and leave it there so that he can raise me up to his life within me a brand new life where all my needs are met because my life is not mine anymore. It's the life of Jesus within me by his spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's the upper echelon of Christianity when we understand that Jesus himself wanted to live in us so that we could live that exchanged life so that we would have the power to live out a life of holiness and purity and stand for the kingdom of God. But not just to be changed for ourselves, but so that we could give that away. You know, the beauty about God's control and his authority is that he's not a tyrant. You know, he administrates his power and authority through mercy, through justice, through grace. The beauty for us is even if God is in control, and he is, when we understand that, we understand that what he wants for our life is the very best thing. So we can bow our knee. We can say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Because we know that he knows the best thing for us. We just have to submit. So easy to talk about, isn't it? And so hard to live it out. You know, we've got to go where Jesus says to go. We've got to do what Jesus says to do. We've got to be willing to put our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice. The key is being living, making the choice. Yes, Lord, I'll live for you. Yes, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. A few years ago, Cheryl and I were heading off on a holiday, and uh, we used to do this annually. We were pastor in a in a church that was going through a bit of struggle, and we were burnt out. We were stressed. We were in a pretty bad way, and we headed off on our holiday. We put the the trailer on the back of the four-wheel drive and we're heading up north of Noosa to camp on the beach. And about 40 minutes away from home, I looked at the, the side mirror and there was smoke billowing out of our trailer. Oh, here we go. So I pulled over. Cheryl was just crying in the front seat. The kids were sort of like, we want to go on our holiday. And I was sitting there stressed, totally stressed. And when I got out and looked at the the axle of the trailer had actually shifted across and the wheel was rubbing on the trailer and stripping the tyre to pieces. And we had everything in that trailer. Kitchen sink, literally, to go camping. And we couldn't just push it off the side of the road and there was no room left in the car to move it all in there. We were just, we were just totally in a spot. where We were just sat there on the side of the road. What do we do? Lord, we need help. And then as I was sitting there just looking at this trailer, wondering on earth what we were going to do, I noticed a car come down the highway and it went past and it turned around and it came up and parked behind us. And this guy got out, really rough weathered looking guy, walks up, got a bit of trouble there mate, haven't you? <laughs> Stayed in the obvious. And uh, he had a look at it and he said, look, you you don't know me, so I, so I understand if you don't trust me, but... He said, I live about five minutes down the road and if you're happy for me to do it, I'll, I'll take your trailer, I'll take it to my place and then when you've had your holiday, I can see that you need your holiday, you come and pick it up. Wow. And as we're, we're standing there, I just thought, this is the Good Samaritan. And I said to him, hey mate, you haven't heard the story of the Good Samaritan before, have you? And he just stopped and he looked at me and he said, Mark... He said, I was driving down the road and the Lord said to me, that's my son and daughter. I want you to stop. I want you to go over there and I want you to help them out. He was obedient. He was a busy man on his way to do something else, but he had an intimacy with God. He understood the control of God, the authority of God, and he stopped. You know, we went off on our camping trip and he came up the next morning with our trailer fixed. was great but you never know the blessing that will come unless you're obedient he was obedient he was a great example the second thing about the kingdom of god is that it's a realm of transformation from the very beginning to the very end living this christian life living the kingdom dream is all about change constantly changing it's a radical life exchange You know, the word for repentance is the Greek word metanoia. It means my life used to go that way and I used to have these values and these allegiances. But because I understood the truth of God, I turned my life around and went this way. My allegiance changed. That's about change. We use the word conversion to talk about this deep inner transaction that happens that changes us to be Christ-like. You know, our whole entry into the kingdom of God is about our willingness to change. Every time we pick up the word of God and we open it, it's an opportunity for change. Every time we come to church and we hear a message, it's about change. And I find it really ironic that the people that hate change the most are Christians. Aren't we? We hate change. Yet the whole platform of what we're on about is change. Every day is new. Every day is a new opportunity for the kingdom of God to flow out through us to somebody to change their world, to bring them the knowledge of God, to impart power, to impart love. The kingdom of God is all about change. That's why the Bible says you need to be born again. That's radical. It's a new beginning, a whole new life. We need to understand that concept of being changed. God wants to change us. He wants to keep us from becoming like the world. That's why the Bible uses phrases like aliens and foreigners and sojourners because when we're changed and we come into the kingdom of God, our value system gets turned upside down. We're about heavenly things, not about earthly temporal things anymore. It's a kingdom of change being changed ourselves and being a catalyst for change in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, right throughout the nations, Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom, to be agents of change. The danger is we become fat cats, spiritual fat cats that indulge God and all that he's given us for ourselves. You know, that that makes me feel sick that the church is so inward focused that we don't have a heart for the lost. And we don't understand what God has given us. Yes, it's a blessing to us, but we've been blessed to give it away. It's not for us. It's for a hurting world out there. I don't know how many people there are in Pakenham that don't know the Lord, but there's a lot. We've got a big job ahead of us, but we're empowered to do it. We've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, sometimes I think we just need a fresh revelation of what God has given us so we can appropriate it, so that we're not fearful, so that we're bold and we're courageous and we understand where there's sickness, God has a healing policy in his kingdom. Where there's lack, God has a welfare program. You know, God's government is perfect. That's why we have to preach the gospel to every nation because the only way we're going to come into right rulership and right government is to have Jesus as our king. That's the whole point. Mankind, since the Garden of Eden, has been trying to establish every, every other form of government, be it a dictatorship or a democracy. But when we have a theocracy where we put Jesus on the throne of our lives, everything else will fall into place. We'll be able to serve him the way he wants us to serve. The third thing is that the kingdom of God is a realm of counter-culture. This is what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, we'll go two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, What will you get as your reward? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? No, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When Jesus began teaching about the kingdom of God, he was effectively handing out immigration policy to come and join the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. He was saying, this is my kingdom, this is how you enter it, and this is what living in my kingdom is all about. And what he was doing was saying that there's going to be an upheaval, a revolution in values, in principles, in priorities. In fact, Jesus turned everything upside down. He returned religion on its head. And so radical was what Jesus was teaching that people either fell on their knees in front of him and said, this is wonderful, How do I buy in? How do I get in on this? Or people said, we need to kill him. We've got to kill him. We can't stand what he's talking about. It was either one or the other. Jesus wanted to turn everything upside down. It was such a radical expression of love, what Jesus wanted to demonstrate. And he did that in so many ways. Everywhere he went, he demonstrated compassion. He healed people, lepers the demon-possessed, the blind, the lame. His whole agenda was about bringing heaven to earth, setting captives free, setting people that were bound up in poverty and no hope and depression and giving them hope, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, telling people about the goodness of God and all that God has for them and inviting them to come and be part of this kingdom. And that's the beauty, that that has relevance for every man, every child, every woman that walks on the face of this earth. Jesus has got something incredible for them. And we've got the opportunity to share that with them. You now, the kingdom of God is a culture, a, a culture, a counterculture. It's not like the world's culture. In fact, it's totally the opposite. Jesus wanted us to understand that we need to move in the opposite spirit of the world the complete opposite spirit, to love the unlovely. Not to be materialistic, but to give away what we have. And he kept peppering people all the time about the values of his kingdom. And we need to allow those things to permeate us so that we can live them out. You know, Jesus wanted us to have hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. He wanted our minds to be renewed so that we wouldn't be conformed to the way that the world thinks anymore, but we would understand the heavenly realm and that we're living for eternity and therefore our lives would be lived out on those principles. We wouldn't get hung up on working six and a half days a week just to have a superannuation policy that's going to get blown away anyway because the Lord could come back tomorrow. So they were the types of things that Jesus was teaching and people were going we can't swallow this, it's too hard. Or well, they said, this is incredible, this is truth, we need to get on board. Now Jesus wasn't a lecturer, he didn't go around you know, teaching seminars, he physically demonstrated that these concepts and principles were reality and he authenticated them by the things that he did. I think sometimes the church has become a lecture hall Where we teach people, but we don't empower people to live that life out. That's what's got to change in a Western culture. We've become intellectuals. And the gospel of the kingdom of God is not intellectual. That's why Jesus chose fishermen. Because it's not about how smart you are. They're simple, basic truths that a child can understand. That's why we have to come as children because it's only then that we can really accept them and then walk in them. You don't have to be a theological student to understand the kingdom of God. That's the beauty of it. It isn't a hierarchy. It's a flat line. Anyone can serve God incredibly and that's the beauty of this kingdom. It's a kingdom of counterculture. God wants us to be in it, boots and all. This is how I put it. We are called to a measure of love that is uncompromising, open handed, big hearted, generous, practical, and tangible. A mirror of the lavish love that Jesus poured out on us. You see, the thing about living for the kingdom of God is that there's no half-hearted expression of that. You can't do it half-heartedly. You can't blend the world and the kingdom of God. They don't dovetail. They clash. If we're living it right, we should be weird. We should stand out. Everything about our lives, when people meet us, should say there's something different about that person. That's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, people started following him. This man's got so many different ideas. And look what happens when he's in the room. That's the principle for us. Every step that we take, we take the kingdom of God with us into every situation in our workplaces. When someone's sick, oh, I hope you get better, mate. No, pray for them. Let the kingdom of God come and heal them. Oh, I can't do that. I better ring Daryl. He's the pastor. He can do that. No. No, do it. Do it because God's given you the authority. Are you a child of the king? Has the king given you sonship? If I want something from my dad, I just go and get it because we have that relationship. And that's the beauty of the kingdom. God said, I want you to be Jesus, I want you to stand in my place. I'm going to give you my spirit, I'm going to dwell in you personally. So you can raise up and do these things. Jesus said it, greater things you will do than I've done. I don't see that. That's what scares me. It's what scares me about what we're doing in the Christian faith. We've got to break down the boundaries of the local church, turn it upside down, get back to what Jesus said was truth and live it out. And when we do that, man, when you are in that place with God, The world is just radically different because the supernatural is there, because the transformation is there, because the authority is there, because the love of God is there. The opportunity is there. We just have to take it. The last thing about the kingdom of God is that it's a realm of courage. This is what Jesus said. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Look, Jesus didn't pull any punches. He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be part of this kingdom, there's going to be trials and tribulations and testing. It's a narrow, windy road. Understand that from the get-go, that if you buy into the kingdom of God, it's about taking up a cross, not a picnic basket. You know, the Christian life is tough. It's not easy. It's about adversity and overcoming it. It's about being conquerors. It's about living this life in a totally different mindset than the way that the world does. We don't get depressed because we've got hope. We don't live in despair because we know we've got a Lord and a King who loves us. We know the worst thing that someone can do is kill us. But then it's just gain. So our whole attitude to life should be different, but that doesn't mean it's not tough. Jesus said, since the days of Don, John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been violently advancing and violent men and women lay hold of it. Mark Wilson's interpretation of that passage is that if you don't have a strong spiritual background, you won't make it. You've got to put your shoulder to the plough and not look back. God doesn't want us to be half hearted about his kingship, about his kingdom. We've got to be passionate. It's so compelling, the kingdom of God. I don't know how you can do it any other way. When it gets in you, it's like you're infected with it. And God wants us to live that out in the most powerful way. Look, we don't always get the encouragement that we need as Christians. And today, if you're here, you know the struggle of serving God. You know it's not easy. You know there's hardship. You know there's times when it would be so much easier just to give up, not to live by those principles of holiness in a world that doesn't care, in a world that just does what it's right in their own eyes. For us to put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to live differently, comes at an incredible cost, individually, in our families. You know, Jesus said we'd be persecuted, that people would hate us. That's not an easy message to sell. But we're not selling a message. We're not selling a message. You know, sometimes I think we need to remember that we're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from victory. You know, there may be skirmishes, there may be battles, but the war is won. We're on the winning side. We've got the end. Just read Revelation. We know what happens. You know? That's the whole point of Christianity. Kingdom living. You can't shrink back. You've got to put your shoulder to the plow and keep going. Look, I don't know, most of you, I don't know what's happening in your lives, but I know that when you try and live out the Christian life, there's opposition. We have an adversary who is literally hell bent on robbing, stealing, and destroying. It's not going to be a walk in the park. But the Christian life is best when we seek the kingdom of God first. Jesus knew if we could do that, if we sought his kingdom first, all the other priorities would be set in their right order. Jesus knew if we sought the kingdom of God first, that we wouldn't hunger and thirst for things of the world. We would hunger after righteousness, and truth, and all the things that really matter for eternity, and matter to God. But it is tough. Earlier this year, Cheryl and I and the kids went to the United States, and we went to a little town in Colorado called Westcliff. We stayed with a family that we met when we were on the mission field in in Fiji. And we we knew that we were going to stay with this family, and we knew that... um, Myron was the guy we were staying with. We knew that his sister had just lost her son, a 10-year-old young boy. But we didn't, un- we didn't know the story, we didn't know the context. And when we got there, we got to meet Myron and his family and we got to meet his sister. And their little boy had been going on a, on a hunting trip with his dad and he'd run upstairs to get the guns and bring them down to the car and on his way down, something happened And the gun went off and shot him in the back of the head and he died instantly. That was two weeks before we got there. And when we met this family, it was so obvious that they were going through such anguish and grief. There was a coroner's report because that to investigate whether it was a suicide or whether it was an accident or whether his parents had shot him. Like it was a horrible scenario for them to be in. And about an hour into having dinner with them and, The light twigged on for me. This couple were the local pastors. And they'd they'd invited me to preach. And God had given me this message. And I had no context of the message until I understood what they were going through. And here I was preaching this message about turbulence in life. And I've got in the front row this couple who's just lost their son. But they weren't giving up on God. They weren't blaming God. They understood that in the kingdom of economy, Corey was in a much better place. And they weren't going to give up pastoring their church. They weren't going to stop. In fact, that adversity was making them all the more determined to live out their lives in such a way that when they got to the end of it, they didn't look back and say, I missed the opportunities. They were determined to live their lives for the king and his kingdom. And this morning, I want to encourage you to be Jesus freaks. I want you to be fanatical for God. You know, ordinary doesn't cut it. We are not common people. We are ordinary people in the sense that we're ordinary people, but we're extraordinary because of who dwells in us, what is done in our lives, what is given to us, what is available to us. We should be the most excited men and women on the face of the planet. If you're not, you're not living it right. It's the only way. Kingdom living. Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God. He's a consuming fire. You know, Jesus has the right to ask for our lives and to do with our lives whatever He pleases. He has that right. He has the right to expect that if we truly understand the kingdom of God, that we will live this life passionately that everywhere you and I go, we will be a catalyst. That's why we named the new church Catalyst for the kingdom of God. You are a change agent. You have been changed to change your sphere of influence, whether that's business or family. It's not a competition. It doesn't matter where it happens as long as it happens. Take the kingdom of God. Take what Jesus has given you. Let his spirit rise up in you. Speak the word of God. Pray for people. Lay hands on people. Don't be fearful. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of boldness, and we need courage and determination and perseverance to live it out. Let's pray. Father, there's no compromise when we serve you. You want us to come and be changed into your likeness. Lord, you want to mold us and shape us so that individually and corporately we're a force to be reckoned with. Lord, I want to pray today that you would bring us back to seeking first the kingdom of God. Lord, sometimes we can get off track. Sometimes we need to recommit our lives to you. Lord, sometimes we just haven't loved on people like you wanted us to. We've been selfish. But your kingdom's not essentially about us. It's about esteeming others better than ourselves. It's about loving our enemies. It's about raising up a standard that's radical and extreme and loving people furiously, giving our lives away, expending it for your kingdom, for eternal purposes. Father, I pray today that you would stir us up. Lord, don't let us be comfortable Christians. Don't let us be spiritual fat cats. Lord, let us ache in our hearts for this world that is hurting. and Let us understand, Lord, that you've given us the keys of the kingdom. Just like you came. You changed people's lives in an incredible way and that's the mandate of the church. It's the mandate of our lives because the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed us and has appointed us to fulfill your commission, to take the good news of the kingdom of God to a hurting, broken world. Lord, I pray this morning that wherever we are in that journey with you, that Lord, we'd come back to that place of fire, that place where our hearts are yearning and burning for the things of God, the deep things of God. Lord, we don't want to mess around on the shallows. We want to be in the deep water faith with you, going after you, sensitive to your call on our lives. And when you speak that, we just obey. We hear your promptings. We step out no matter what the obstacles are. We step out no matter what the odds are because we know with God, we're in the majority. Lord, when you're with us, who can be against us? Lord, help us to live out the kingdom with passion. In fire, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.